episode of our Leaving Medicine series, as I now have so aptly named it. But we are here with my friend Alyssa today. And this is not the Alyssa that I referenced on the podcast before. That's my co-resident slash housemate. This is my amazing friend Alyssa, who I met on Instagram, which connects me to only the very best people in the world. And she has maybe shared like a sentence about her story in the past. I think maybe resident life MD or someone asked some sort of question and he or she, I don't actually know, or they, <laughs> whatever, whatever that person is, was like, you should go on a podcast and tell your story just based off the one sentence that she said. So now we have been lucky enough to snag her for our podcast to tell her story um and would you like to start by telling us just a little bit about your life in this moment and then we'll get into like the whole reason that you're on this episode today yeah definitely I'm Alyssa I am a nurse at a level one trauma center in their trauma unit and I live in Kansas City So the interesting thing is we have been very close friends for a couple of years now, thanks to, once again, the magic that's Instagram. And we talk like all the time. And I knew that essentially you're a med school dropout, but I never knew, and I know obviously that you're still in healthcare, but I never knew the whole story about, you know, what led you on the path to become a physician to begin with and then what eventually led to the end of that path, which is sort of cool because in one way I get to learn about it now. Uh, In another way, it's probably not cool for you because it's more anxiety provoking. (laughs) But just sort of if you want to begin, I guess, by sharing with us about what made you decide to go into medicine to begin with. Yeah, let me start. It's kind of a convoluted story, but uh, people are always like, how did you become a nurse? And it's it's a long story. So I guess back in high school, everyone's trying to figure out what they want to do, which is funny in and of itself, you know, they're like 15, 16, like, what do you want to do with the rest of your life? But I actually didn't really like math or science that much, more like English reading, but I took AP biology and I loved it. And um, I also had a healthcare careers class uh, and we got to figure out different careers and go to different places, shadow different people. Uh, And I love that medicine and healthcare, you're always learning and you get to actually tangibly help people. Medicine, you can problem solve and think critically. I just love that. So I wasn't set on becoming a doctor. You know how Mm -hmm. everyone in like bio 101 is like, yep, I'm going to be a doctor. And then they like fail out. It's so Orgo. Super- they get to Orgo. And oh, my gosh. Yeah. Well, if, if they make yeah. it past by a right. one, but a, a huge chunk <laughs> does fail by Seriously. a one. <laughs> so I, I was super open, like dentist, nurse, PA. You know, I didn't really know much about MP, but um, yeah. So I shadowed my dentist and the first second patient had like rotted teeth and I thought I was going <laughs> to throw up. It was so nasty. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I'm very. For all you Enneagram people, I'm a type eight. So being a leader just like comes naturally to me. I've been in a lot of different leadership roles and I loved the breadth and depth of knowledge that medical doctors or physicians have and shadowed several of them. So yeah, that's 
kind of why I decided on medicine. It's interesting because you went back to like AP bio in high school. <laughs> and I think if people have been here from the beginning in the first episode, Allie and I both explained what led to us going to med school. And for me, it was like, a, I think A&P in high school. That's crazy. I just, you know, I just but, wanted to know more, which I think is the yeah. most like genuine uh, reason people can initially be attracted to medicine. Yeah. It's interesting though, because I feel like either bio 101 or bio 102 was like plant. Yes. It's just like, it's just so, <laughs> it has nothing to do with medicine. Like no. absolutely <laughs> nothing. And it's, it's like, I just remember the most random things like the different gene genera of it's just it's mind-blowing that that's like yeah. the entry level that's <laughs> true that's kind of weird. I don't remember any of it to be honest I, <laughs> I mean I barely remember med school I barely remember anything at this what point. happened yesterday <laughs> yeah or that but so it sounds like you know it throughout college is when it became clear so how was so you decided at some, mm-hmm. where in the college stage were you when you decided you were going to attempt to go to med school? Oh, it was before I even went to college. Yeah. Oh, okay. And, um, so it was just confirmation when you were in college. Like, yeah. That mm-hmm. I love, I mean, it was hard, but like bio one-on-one or go all that stuff. Like I mm-hmm. made it through chem, like a whole year of physics was like torture oh, for me. Yes. <laughs> physics just, was my worst class. Um, so I was a biology and Spanish major. Mm-hmm. Um, and my whole point uh, of being in medicine too was like to help people. It sounds so dumb, but like my faith is really important to me. So I Mm -hmm. really felt it was a calling, like this is a need that the world has and this is something that I can do and also enjoy. And, um, yeah, I, I, it was just confirmed throughout college. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, once again, like when I was initially attracted to Allie, I know it was the same way for you. There definitely was like, it sounds weird being as old and cynical as we are now, <laughs> but there definitely was a component of of wanting to sincerely help others that I think, unfortunately, sometimes the path itself makes you th- think a bit differently. But I do think when, yes. you're, when you're young and you're yeah. inspired and passionate, it really can, there can be this drive and the way yeah. it's presented to you, it really does seem like, you know, this is a great way to help other people. And I mean, mm-hmm. it, it is, but yeah. Yeah, the consequence of, of other things. Yeah. I, I really path. try, I try to bring it back to that so much when mm-hmm. I'm having a hard day or a mm. difficult case. Um, I really have to sometimes stop and say, like, I'm, you're helping this person, you know, and like it, it, when you kind of look at it that way, it, it just makes it just a little bit easier, which I think is, you know, it's like a gift a little bit, but yeah. it's like full circle. It always comes back to that. Definitely. Yeah. I think by the time that people, hopefully, if they stick with the path and they, if they make it to being attendings, there is certainly a way that they can... Uh, help others but I think along the way sometimes it seems like you're not helping anyone and you're harming yourself which is part Mm -hmm. of the you know what comes up a lot in this whole series that we're doing (laughs) so when where were you in like college or post-college when you applied to med school so I was in the typical is that your third year that's so crazy because like I started college I'm going to date myself, but like 10 years ago mm-hmm. and yeah, that third year after you take your MCAT. And then I was studying abroad in Spain. Um, 
So I didn't, it wasn't all together kind of like I was kind of late and then I hadn't even heard of osteopathic medical school. So I did only allopathic in like places that I want to go. So So, uh, I feel like I had a few interviews, but I didn't get accepted the first time. So Mm -hmm. I did it again and I absolutely love the osteopathic, like holistic, um, viewpoint. So Yes, I. that was when I did that. Well, you're on a podcast run by <laughs> DOs. And if I like only applied, if I'd only applied allopathic after uh, my third year, which is when I applied, I would have been applying another round as well, <laughs> considering yeah. my only acceptance was from my uh, local yeah. DO school. Well, I'm from Minnesota, and we don't have any osteopathic medical uh, schools, and there's only one in Iowa, Iowa none in wisconsin or south dakota north dakota so i had hardly yeah. any exposure to it well in our area of the country i guess like new jersey it's like super prevalent so yeah. everyone knows about it and if they are opting not to apply they better have a good reason for that or else they're gonna be applying again yeah so then you so you had it sounds like you had a gap year because of that and yes. then you started medical school and what was that like compared to what you'd hoped it would be like? Um, well, wait, can I go back? To- yeah, go back. <laughs> I back up. graduated from undergrad mm-hmm. and then I had always wanted to get my master's in public health and that's what I did. So I got hired as a graduate assistant, which I had never heard of before. Mm-hmm. And I did track in college. So then I was at track and cross country. Me too. Assistant. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's and it gives crazy. you, yeah, it gives you that extra, you could stay on as like a coach or it just gives yeah. you that extra time. But they paid for all my grad school, like my That's master's. Awesome. And yeah, so I did my master's of public health and global health. And um, yeah, then I applied before my last year of my MPH um, and got in at, uh, school in Virginia. Now let me clarify. After college, <laughs> should you go straight into the MPH? Mm-hmm. And the MPH? So I graduated in 2016 with that. Okay. So college 2014, MPH 2016. Okay. Yes. It's two years. Okay. Got it now. So, and then in, before you're going to the final year MPH, you apply to med school, you got mm-hmm. accepted. Okay. Mm-hmm. So 2016 arrives and now yes. you start med school. So tell yes. us about how the beginning of med school was for you. So I moved across the country. Like I said, I'm from Minnesota. So I drove all the way down to Virginia. Mm-hmm. Um, that was, yeah, an interesting drive. And I really liked the school. It was beautiful in the Blue Ridge Mountains. And my classmates were awesome. There were like 150-some people, a little bit more. Um, yeah, I, I loved my classes. My teachers were amazing. I loved Cadaver Lab, you know you know, a weird way, but, um, as one, as much as one could love cadaver. Exactly. (laughs) No, we had people literally, I'm sure you guys did. We had people pass out. I'm like, what are you doing here? Oh my gosh. That's pretty bad. Yeah. The only thing I couldn't really get behind was we would like, you had access to it all night and we, I just like that midnight study group. Mm -mm. I was like, "Mm, no, this this doesn't feel good good I was part of one of those but it didn't improve my grade let me tell you that (laughs) (laughs) yeah so I think it was just the amount of information that or something I don't we we can talk about it but like 
And, you know, those beginning courses are basically like a review of pre-med stuff, like biomedical sciences or whatever the class was called. And I, it just like, I, it was so overwhelming. I, I don't know what it was. I just like, it, none of it was making sense. It wasn't clicking. And I would, I don't know if it was some like s- severe test anxiety, like it was just not jiving and it was not good but all my other classes like the standardized patients my clinical experiences like there was all those people and I would be getting like the top scores and all Mm -hmm. that but I couldn't get like that the other information and it was so overwhelming and I started just it was like a spiral yeah (laughs) of like being so overwhelmed and I think thinking about like what it means to fail even if it's just a quiz or an exam I was like okay wonder if I fail out then wonder if I, you know like yeah. wonder if I'm like the financial burden too I think was always like mm-hmm. weighing on my mind my dad was a teacher and my mom didn't even work so like all my friends their parents were doctors or like at least one of them was a doctor and it was yeah just a little different for me yeah I mean I think when I always I I had really bad test anxiety early on in med school. It it, it faded for me. It got better over time. But I, I do think there's a really unfair burden on the people who, you know, are totally relying on loans and they're like, "Oh my god, what if like I even finish med school, mm-hmm. but I don't match residency?" Oh and then I have hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt. And I have no way to pay it off. And the thing is, I had like lots of wealthy friends that maybe didn't do so good in med school, Mm -hmm. but they knew that they were going to, if anything ever didn't go right, they were going to have zero loans and they could just go do what they wanted to do. Something to fall back on. Yes. Yes. Yeah. 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 They knew that they could, you know, go back to their parents' house. They could start all over again. They had zero loans. Their parents, you know, would... I mean, the level of wealth that you see in med school is crazy. Like, it's not abnormal for someone to have no loans, to have their parents have purchased them a house, for their mm -hmm. parents to have purchased them a luxury vehicle. Like, oh, yeah. That's why the statistic (laughs) about, like, oh, the average indebtedness someone comes out of med school with is 200,000 a year is actually like very deceiving because people Mm -hmm. without help are going to come out with a significantly higher amount of debt. So it sounds like for you, it was just very different than your experience in your undergrad classes. And because maybe things were going poorly, your anxiety was getting worse and worse and it was causing you to spiral and do more poorly. Yeah. And at some point it clicked that it wasn't the right choice for you. At what part of medical school was it for you when you were like this is no longer right for me so it was the finals of only my first semester which my dad's always like this is the most expensive mistake you ever did actually least expensive (laughs) if you decided it that early on so let me just point that out and and it's, it's so backwards that if we just and I don't like you know politics aside if Mm -hmm. people didn't have that burden you kind of wonder would I have been this stressed out Exactly. It's, it's so I mean, I think about it all the time. I still think about it because I think it comes up again in residency. Yes. Where like in residency, if like you're being abused or things are going badly and you don't like 
you're like, oh my God, I just have to suck it up. And then, or like, I don't know, things are worse for you. So you're, so you're more upset and therefore you're doing things in a manner that's just going to make things more difficult for you. Like, I just do think that the, the like class issue that comes into play Mm. in medicine, you know, aside from obviously it's like, it's, it's a place where if you're like, a cis white male that's the best thing you can mm-hmm. hope for but even better if you're a wealthy one like, yeah that's who it's really designed for definitely um but all these things i think you know it's not the same for everyone and that's no, why no. i hate when like obviously i'll i might go on instagram and like post something essentially insinuating that this path is hard and i'll always get like some condescending message from someone that's like oh, med school's great, residency's great, it's just what you make of it. And my first thought is, like, I know this person has to come from some ridiculously privileged background, yeah, <laughs> and they just have no understanding of what it's like for someone yeah. who doesn't come from well, the privilege the money, that they come from. Not just the money helping mm-hmm. out with, you know, that burden of I need to finish because I need to be an attending and make money. It's also... People that come from families of doctors know people. I'm not going to, I know there's people that are completely self-made. They work their ass off without the help from anybody, but it's just that it's it's there. It's there. We don't, no one likes to talk about it, but it's, it's who, you know, in a lot of ways in it. it, There's Mm -hmm. no room for that in medicine. Well, and two, you know, well, I think a lot of the, the wealthier people in med school, the reason they still went to med school despite being wealthy is because they do come from a family of, of medicine. And although I don't think right now, today in 2021, medicine is a path to wealth. In the past, it really was. Yeah. So a lot of these people, yes, they do come from families of doctors that also want them to be a doctor very strongly but they also have a lot of money Mm -hmm. to make things go differently like I do know not naming any names but there were people I went to med school with who failed things numerous times should have been kicked out but their parents not only either like paid for a lawyer or made donations Mm -hmm. to the school and like you know and now these people I mean good for them because I wouldn't wish ill on anyone unless they're like a shitty person. And I'm not saying these people are shitty or anything. They just come from privilege. (laughs) They're like now, you know, completing residency. So, Mm -hmm. but like, you know, someone who didn't have all those resources, someone who didn't have very educated parents that are willing to fight Mm -hmm. for their kids to get the same education, the same privilege, they're just going to give up much, much quicker Yeah, because the world isn't the same for them. Yeah, definitely. So in some ways, I don't, I don't think this was to no for you. <laughs> I know could have been like down the road even farther so um and I know too it sounds like you liked cadaver lab how did you and it sounds like yes the other classes were overwhelming for you did you like the content you were covering in them how did you feel about the content um I think in the classes that I wasn't doing well in I maybe didn't enjoy the content as much so I worked hard in undergrad, but I had never, I think maybe been pushed as that hard academically Mm -hmm. and just like how all consuming it was. And 
I always think about this, but they want you to be this like perfect, well-rounded person to get in. But then once you're in this pipeline of medicine, everything else has to fall to the wayside. And I was like, well, I want to work out still. I want to like do things with my friends. And I, I mean, yeah, I was like the president of like the family medicine association and doing all these things. But like, I think for me, I guess I'm not maybe like some people didn't really have to study as much, but I think I would have only maybe had to just study or like I needed to focus yeah. more on studying. And mm-hmm. I was like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> I know too. Distracted, we've we've talked about too that you, you just based on conversations we've had <laughs> and stuff like that, that you think that there's a chance that maybe you went through med school, made it as far as you did with undiagnosed ADHD. Yeah. Looking back, you know, what are some of the, how things were different for you that makes you think that, you know, maybe you've been living life without that yeah. diagnosis or treatment? Yeah, it's like a deep question. Yeah. <laughs> no, but like my mom has always told me, my sister had been diagnosed with it and I, the pediatrician said I did have it like when I was little, but I've like never taken anything for it and like seeing you know people in my family and then sometimes people use it as a crutch and I like the way my brain functions obviously yeah um but I think in some ways it was a hindrance to Mm -hmm. being able to sit down and focus and study um but yeah I I I don't know exactly how it played out but I think we just talked about stuff that it definitely was like Apparent. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if people were on my ADHD live, I did the other day, like mm-hmm. I was diagnosed being in college and I couldn't even have done well in college without mm-hmm. a diagnosis and medication treatment. Yeah. I'm also open that I'm not on medication now because mm-hmm. of, I was having like pretty severe GI side effects from mm-hmm. it. And at this point, now that I don't have to study every day and I'm older and I have a lot of coping mechanisms in place. I actually think I'm fine without medication, but, uh, the, the level that these higher education systems demands of you, there is no way in hell I would have, you know, yeah. let's say for some reason without treatment, I had made it into medical school, which is doubtful. Let's say <laughs> I made it that far, you know, um, Absolutely not. Like my ability to, the thing about people with ADHD, which I, people may have heard me say this before, but we are very good at focusing on things that we like (laughs) and we are very bad at focusing on things that we don't like. Definitely. And, you know, you can like tons of things about healthcare and clinical stuff and all that and not really be into studying for biochemistry. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and you're going to stare at the page if you're if you don't have the aid of medications and you're going to look at it mm-hmm. for like an hour mm-hmm. and you're going to absorb nothing. nothing. Yeah. And you unfortunately can't make it through medical school like that, but yeah. you know, people can argue with me for this about this and people who do really well in their step one love to argue about these types of things. (laughs) But honestly, like how much does someone really loving biochemistry impact how good of a position they're going to be? I'm going to argue and say it doesn't, you know, say anything about how good of a position. It actually says they should be a biochemist. 
Yeah. <laughs> Go be a biochemist. Exactly. And the thing is, you know, obviously we have connected Alyssa because we're really similar and probably a lot of that is some of the ADHD. Yeah. And just like you said, you like all these things about yourself. You know, I like all, you know, like ADHD has pros and cons. Mm-hmm. You're impulsive, but you're also creative. You're, um, you know, you're, you're very personable. Some people could think, you know, maybe you're sort of loud and annoying. It's just like, (laughs) these are, these are like qualities. And I have gotten to the point in my life where, you know, the things that other people may see as negative and the Mm -hmm. medical training system definitely sees as negative, I think are positive qualities. And I also, you know, think that, wow, the way the medical system is set up, you may be forced to take Mm -hmm. medication to make it on the path to become a physician. Do I think that these individuals, such as myself or you, if we choose to do something else, do we need medication? Maybe not, Mm -hmm. because it just, that what what this demands of you is a lot of, things that robots will be really good at. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, like sitting there and studying all day on end yeah. and like having it strips literally you down. no life. Yeah, mm-hmm. it really exactly. makes you, it, it takes away everything that you, it cre- It makes you a robot because you have to yeah. be on this one track and you can't have any distractions. And that's not, we're not meant to yeah. be, we're not meant to do that. Yeah. Definitely. I, I described it as soul crushing kind of mm-hmm. and that's like I've talked to people about it and some of my other friends like they're not the same people they were before medical school and like they would readily admit that but uh back to the ADHD thing I even brought it up to I don't know if it was like a med school like counselor or somebody and now that I look back I'm like wow maybe that was super naive and like they thought I was like seeking some type of you know stimulant but I you know I was super honest yeah. with her and like we were close and talking and um I was like do you think I should because it wasn't making sense like the subjects I had TA'd in I tutored in and like I wasn't performing well, well. yeah and part of it too like you brought up all your test anxiety and how that mm. spiral which obviously that makes sense but part of it too and this is something if people have heard me talk about ADHD before is that when ADHD is untreated and there's a situation where you know it's really not manageable with coping mechanisms or things like that it causes tons of anxiety and yeah. anxiety can actually become like the predominant symptom but mm-hmm. really it's the individuals uh, you know, under underlying ADHD. And I know like now it's becoming like a cool thing to claim you have ADHD or whatever, which <laughs> I feel like is invalidating to people who truly have it. And it's, yeah. it's, it's caused painful things in their life. Like obviously, you know, spending all this time going to medical school and then choosing to leave is a painful thing. Yeah. And there are things that happened along training and stuff for me that are painful and I don't like to really think about or talk about too much. Um, But I just want to say that if you make it through med school and residency without medication, please stop saying you have ADHD. (laughs) Yeah. Or or OCD. Oh my Mm. God. Yeah. How about that? Yeah. I mean, yes, we can go on. There are tons of these, you know, mental illnesses or neurological differences that Mm. are cause a lot of pain in the lives of people who actually struggle with them. Mm -hmm. And it 
becomes, and you know, they have to eventually create an environment, ideally, that's supportive of their issues or get treatment or whatever. But, um, you know, these things aren't fun. Whereas like, we're at the point where we're both able to embrace ourselves and focus on the positives of, you know, what it means to be an ADHD individual. Like, if you don't have things in check and you're in certain fields, it can be a very painful experience. Yeah. Definitely. So I'm just going to say that because I've been pretty <laughs> annoyed recently, but yeah, we, know. we like to go on TikTok, you and I, and like send yes, each other and trigger the F and, out of ourselves. Yeah. It's just, we love it. It's like self-sabotage because <laughs> yes. people make a hobby and they make it their quote unquote aesthetic. And they're like, I self-diagnose myself and, and, and people, you know, claim to be autistic. And it's, if you read the comments, a lot of people are saying, you know, this isn't, you know, it's, it's kind of mocking people who actually have, you know, serious Mm -hmm. issues. And it's, I don't know, like what this culture could even be considered. Like, I don't even know what you would call it. It's like the weirdest thing. It's weird because like, you know, the reality is a lot of these mental health concerns are still like under acknowledged and under diagnosed, mm. but in other ways they're over acknowledged exactly. and over diagnosed. And it's because I think it's because a lot of people who are actually suffering from things, they don't understand what's going on. And there's a lot of like shame and yeah. guilt. And so they don't seek help or they do seek help, but someone mislabels them mm-hmm. and lots of nonsense happens versus like there are people who want to be ill and those people often you know (laughs) their only illness is wanting to be ill yeah and they go seek out you know all these diagnoses and they you know they have already decided what they want to have so they go seek someone who is going to validate their own self-diagnosis and And then they're given a platform to say and Mm -hmm. do whatever they want with it and cue it to quirky music and spread misinformation (laughs) it's just i do not have tiktok so (laughs) oh you are missing out oh my god Uh, (laughs) oh god okay so going back to your story so you left medical school after your first semester. Yeah. I'm going to imagine that was a really painful time period. It was, yeah. What did, what was your life like then? And like, what was your life like? How long did it take for you to sort of figure out what you were going to do next and all that? Yeah. So it all happened so fast and it was a very painful experience just because I didn't want to be a physician just to like as a job or whatever, I, it was for very altruistic reasons too. And we were talking about, um, you know, feeling like all that pressure of financial, but also like I was the only, um, Latina female, like in my whole class. Mm -hmm. And I feel like I also had a burden maybe even to become a doctor. Like I need to do this for yeah like people so I can help them and like be an example because um so I just felt like I was letting so many people down as well as like myself but um, I just didn't have a piece about being there and I knew that that was not in the right like not the right place or at least I need to pause since it's such an expensive like I'm like oh my gosh wonder if I would have got to like step one and not like liked it like can't really back out then so um I met with 
I don't even know how many people. It was like a board of people and the dean or whatever and professors. And they're like, well, you can just like think about it and we'll save you a spot next year. But I think I would have had to redo that semester or something. I don't know. I was like, well. I yeah, they never make home. it easy. It's never no. like <laughs> it's it's like for first of all, it's money. Second of yes. all, it's, you know it kind of, it almost forces you to stop and really consider it. Exactly. Um, and in, in some ways it could make that decision easier. Like, well, if that's the case, then I'm definitely not repeating this, you know? Yeah. And like even repeating all the classes that I had done really well in, yeah. or like wouldn't have got a grade. I don't know what it was. And it was also, super weird. <laughs> ever as someone who has had, uh, not exactly for the same reasons, but how to do some of those sit down meetings in med school. It makes you want to run out the door and never. Oh it's not down. like I'm not. Yeah, you have you don't have a team on your side. It's very no. much you versus them. They, and they I mean, all stare at you yeah. and like make you feel like you don't belong at all. Yeah. There's a and court recorder. It's but right. I'm not a crier, <laughs> but I was like shaking. Like I was on the verge of tears. I think the whole time. But anyway, I, I speaking of privilege, I did have supportive family who were there for really there for me, like financially, you know, physically. They came and helped me pick up my stuff and like drive it back to Minnesota. And I also had a different degree, my master's in public health that I applied and got a job at the Minnesota Department of Health in infectious disease. And I was able to start working. So that was a blessing. That's yeah. pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, I think that that is one positive because so many people just have like a bachelor's or even a master's in like basic sciences mm-hmm. or like bench. So I don't even know what we call yeah. them. Yeah. But yeah. you know, the option is to like go work in a boring lab, lab or something, or something <laughs> you know. So at least you had something where it was like still clinical, which is your passion. Yeah, so definitely. Nice. And then, so you went and got this job at the Mm -hmm. Minnesota Department of Health Infectious Disease. Mm -hmm. And then how long did that go on for and bring us to, because we know, we know the ending. We know right now you're a nurse at a level one trauma center. Yeah. So like I was saying, I always enjoyed clinical stuff. Like I did my CNA EMT and I worked as an EMT throughout, um, undergrad and grad school. And then, um, when I was at the Department of Health, I was a prevention and outreach coordinator for hepatitis and did like a multi-drug resistant TB outbreak and measles outbreaks. And, but I still missed that like patient connection. Yeah. (laughs) So, um, I got married and we moved to Kansas city. So, um, I was looking at public health jobs down there and I was like, Oh, I kind of just want to go back. I, I obviously love school, even though Medical school is hard. Yeah. I love learning. Yeah. Like, this yeah. is my fourth degree. Yeah. <laughs> I'm kind of, yeah, um, just a lifelong learner. So I went back and I did an accelerated bachelor's of science in nursing. It was 12 months mm-hmm. in person. Um, and then I graduated like a year ago-ish and have been working yes. during the pandemic. Yeah. What a nice start. <laughs> Welcome. <laughs> And you even, I don't know from talking to you, you even did some fun vaccine clinics in there. 
Yeah. So. Stuff that you actually really liked. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I was a brand new nurse, but they- Trial by fire. <laughs> yeah. But they pulled me over and I was the vaccine clinic coordinator. It's a big teaching hospital. So we've done like 90,000 vaccines and I got to like use my leadership skills and, you know, make things efficient and educate the population yes. about what yeah. the vaccine's actually about. Yeah. So I, I love that. And I like how you're like, you know, just because med school wasn't right for me doesn't mean that I don't like learning. Yeah. And that like, you know, I think one of the things and I hope I've been open about the fact that I don't like med school, but in case anyone is confused, I do not like We're not only doing a whole series about it. (laughs) Yeah. But in case anyone's, but I still, you know, I think of myself as a scientist. I think of myself Mm -hmm. as a knowledge seeker, but I think just like, you know, like you obviously really enjoyed your MPH, Mm -hmm. like a lot of what we connected over was really liking like, you know, that common sense stuff, understanding statistics, <laughs> yeah. understanding like health disparities and mm-hmm. stuff like that, that is really interesting and super pertinent to being in healthcare. Yeah. But you could literally get zero education yeah. on this if you actually attend medical school. Right. Like, and nutrition and oh, like yes. prevention. Get, and that's like, all stuff I'm passionate about. So <laughs> one lecture on nutrition in med school. Okay. Maybe it was like one day, Still but so same, sad. so sad. <laughs> and like, if you actually understand anything about nutrition or like public health or anything as an actual physician, people are like, your colleagues are so impressed because if something's <laughs> not like you know, on the front page of up to date, they have no idea what it is. Yeah. I'm so mad that you said that because now that I'm thinking about like my interactions during the day, I would say probably 30% of a single patient encounter is they ask me what to eat. And, and, Mm. and they're the AHA American Heart Association is really pushing the, um, the Mediterranean diet. And Mm -hmm. I, Uh, I I love, yeah. And, and, you know, I am super into like, you know, food, I guess. So (laughs) I feel like it's not because of any education that I received that I'm able to educate people. It's, it's kind of just something that, is a common sense to somebody who's born and raised to eat healthy. And, you know, people really, really don't know. And, and they'll, they, within, they'll have an A1C of 15, but they're like, Oh, I don't really Mm. know why. Cause all I eat is salads. And it's like, okay, that's that's not, that's not true, but you kind of have to meet people halfway and be like, I know that that's not what's going on here. What, what can I do to help? Have you tried this new app that you can log your calories? Um, Mm -hmm. are you eating multiple times a day? Like there's, we really don't learn about this, but we're expected to answer these people's questions and they're holding us at esteem. Like you're the doctor. Yeah. You should tell me what I'm supposed to eat. Definitely. Well, I, I think as scientists and like healthcare workers or physicians in your guys' case, it's, yeah, like we are held to a high standard and we should be able to like interpret this data for them. And I think we're all plant-based, right? Yes. All yes. Plant-based. Okay. You know, like we look at the <laughs> science and like, what is it saying? So. Yeah. And one thing I want to say too is like, even in my field in psychiatry, like it's crazy how much things like nutrition and like really, really play a role. Mm -hmm. And, you know, 
a lot of my knowledge and the things I use to help my patients is not actually stuff I learned in medical school or residency. Like even with psychiatry, like a lot of what I've learned is because I go on, there's a Facebook group for psychiatrists and I Mm -hmm. like just read threads on there. I type in something in the search bar and like read threads on it. So I think, you know, obviously the one, I think the one good thing about maybe medical school is it has a lot of things in place that sort of make sure that people who become physicians are held to a certain Mm -hmm. standard. But I think it has like a little bit focuses maybe too much on that Mm -hmm. and a little less on what actually makes someone good at helping people, which is the the desire to, to always learn and, and then to share what you've learned with others. Yeah. An experience too. I feel like not that I have much, but if someone, you know, asks me what a certain stroke recovery looks like, it's mostly going to come from what I've seen, my experience Mm -hmm. too. But, um, you know, med school, it's great, but you, you really have to equip yourself. And I think that's why they make such a big deal about reading, 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 Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can read the textbooks all you want, but you have to read. You have to read what the patients are reading. What are what information yeah. are they getting oh about gosh, the vaccine yeah. that I can kind of counter <laughs> when they come ask me about it? Definitely. You know the the question about infertility. I, what I learned, I learned it. Somebody posted online. I was like, "That's amazing!" If the vaccine yeah. caused infertility, then wouldn't people who had COVID then be infertile? Because it's this like, it's just. I was like, "That's that would speak to people." I wouldn't have what? even thought of that, you know? Yeah. What are we but. even talking about right now? <laughs> you know, it's an important tangent. It that, is. That's what this is about. And it's interesting that we have to conduct our own research as, you know, people have gone through many years of school about, I mean, this is the public health person in me, but like prevention is the best medicine. If we can, you know, someone with an age, you know, an A1C of 15, like clearly needed some you know, not only education, but like access to food or like, you know, education that was at their level. And it's just, there's so many barriers that we could go down that road. But yeah, I had a patient who didn't know that pre-diabetes meant that they were at risk for diabetes. They really, they just thought, oh, I'm, that's me. I'm pre-diabetic and that's my number. And that's what I am. And nobody ever explained to them that low, even having years and years of just slightly elevated sugars is still toxic Mm -hmm. to nerves. And no one ever explained that to them. I texted you about that. I was like, face palm. So frustrating. And two, I think another thing I see like with a lot of my patients is like, you know, for example, a lot of them, are not in a healthy weight range. They're mm-hmm. a lot, very high above it. Mm-hmm. And every single time they talk to a physician who it's, that's more their area, obviously I'm the psychiatrist. They'll be <laughs> like, Oh, I want to refer you to like bariatric surgery. And it's like, you know, just in America, it's always like jump to surgery. Quick fixes. Yeah, or a pill. If can, there's no pill surgery. Yeah. Yes. Or like, you know, let's, give you this injection, which I have less of an issue with than, Immediate uh, you know, gratification. Going. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And instead of like, you know, let's refer you to a nutritionist mm. to work with you and let's refer you to an actual good one who can like <laughs> teach you things because like, 
I've had patients who did get that referral and then they come to me and they're like, yeah, you know, I have a gluten intolerance. Um, and I'm like, oh, how do you know that? Well, you know, I don't feel good after I eat carbs. Well, you know, a lot of people <laughs> don't feel good after they eat carbs. It doesn't, you know, so it's like how much carbs are you even, eating? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, what is this person actually talking to you about? Yeah. Because yeah. me as a psychiatrist shouldn't be like educating you more on, on, and, it, and like, but you, you know, can't help it these, sometimes. Yeah. Oh my God, I can't help it because the thing is, I, I actually <laughs> care about helping people. Yeah. And I understand that just because something's not in my area of expertise, that doesn't mean that I don't know more than the patient does about it. Right. Which is yeah. why, like, it annoyed me too with this whole, like, COVID situation. There are a lot of psychiatrists who would, who would, like, if a patient brought up concerns about the vaccine, and be like, oh, you know, I don't think it's a big deal, but maybe talk to your PCP about it. <laughs> they wouldn't like, address it themselves. What? Like, we still are... Th- this is where going to med school is good because we still learned how vaccines worked. We learned yes. how MRA could be a vector. It, it, yes. you, you didn't just become a psychiatrist to not... Some people back years ago, like family physicians, like doctors graduated med school and they were doctors and they didn't yeah. need this yep. extra training. General and practitioners. Exactly. So yeah. this is kind of now a point to meds. A good point about med school is you, like mm-hmm. you said, you still have more knowledge, even if it's not your specialty and mm-hmm. don't waste an opportunity to educate. You don't need to defer exactly. to answer a question that you can answer right then and there. Exactly. So... <laughs> Looking at all this considered, obviously we could do about 10 episodes ranting and raving about everything that's wrong with this country except for us because we're all amazing. Um, Right now, you're working as a trauma nurse primarily. Mm -hmm. What do you see in your future? Is there dreams that you still have that med school didn't totally beat out of you? Yes, I'm going again full circle, I think. I'm not sure, but... Um, I was always, now that I look back, it's funny because I always wanted to do family medicine and, um, just that prevention, those conversations about nutrition. I love kids. I love old people, that whole gamut, um, and establishing relationships. Oh yeah. Getting to know families, getting to know entire families. Yeah. And I was super lucky growing up. I had an amazing family medicine physician my whole life. So. Uh, I might go back for a family nurse practitioner, Mm -hmm. just school forever. My husband's like, you need to work for at least a little bit. I'm like, okay, (laughs) (laughs) so we'll see. Um, I want to go to an in-person program. I don't know. Maybe I would have done PA if I started all over again. Not sure. That's a whole nother conversation. You know, (laughs) I am going to go for that a little bit. Yep. I Generally, I have I probably haven't hit on the topic of like MPs and PAs on this podcast because it's very controversial. You'll piss off someone no matter what you say. Mm-hmm. So sorry for anyone that I'm going to piss off. <laughs> but you know, I like I said, I think med school. I do like the standards, but I think mm-hmm. maybe it's a little too standard focus a little bit and a little bit less focused on uh, you know mm-hmm. um, maybe things that actually matter. Uh, but you know, PA school. I've always liked because Mm -hmm. it has some level of standards to get in. Like it's Mm -hmm. not easy to get into PA school. And then they do have like sort of standardized curriculum. Yeah. And, you know, people get to rotate through every field and they have Mm -hmm. like, you know, a board exam, blah, blah, blah. Yes, 
people are going to be like, but I'm at this shitty PA. Yes, there are shitty PAs. <laughs> there are shitty doctors too. You know, yes. I don't think every single PA is like trying to perform surgeries alone <laughs> and like, you know, so let's just put it out there. Yes, there are exceptions, but generally I think the model is, is pretty good. Yes. And the MP model is unfortunately just very variable. It's there scary. are some very <laughs> <I'll say it. laughs> rigorous in-person schools. And then there are some schools that, you know, they're online and they just like accept whoever. But, yes. you know, I think because of how broad the, like what an MP is can be, I'm never going to say like all MPs are bad or like, and I'm yeah. also never going to like say the opposite and be like, they're mm-hmm. better than doctors. Like what do people say? Like heart of a nurse, oh my brain gosh. of a doctor. Oh, you <laughs> oh, again. Makes my skin crawl. <laughs> but someone who, you know, they have lots of training in healthcare and a lot of experience but for their life and where they are it just makes more sense to go to mp school yeah to reach their goals like in your case i am so supportive <laughs> of that because yeah. at the end of the day we just need more good people in healthcare. yeah yeah and, so. and you it sounds like you've always done things you know the, the right way with your heart and I think you'll find a good program and you know definitely yeah the yeah. one I'm looking at is like an in-person three or four year doctorate a family nurse practitioner but then you also look at it so I did like I said an accelerated bachelor of science in nursing so some people could have gotten their like prereqs done in high school or whatever you know and there there was a couple 18 year olds in my class so theoretically there are direct entry FNP or NP yeah. programs like that is insane which I don't agree so it's with just so all. scary it's online like yeah I just yeah I mean there's I can't imagine but it's, having medical school online so I, don't I mean know, the like, reality is someone like you is would never choose that pathway right. but the but you actually probably would be fine if you did because of who you are as a person the issue is that the people who choose those pathways yeah. just aren't knowledge seekers they're like Quick Let me get to a paycheck and autonomy as quickly as possible. Mm -hmm. So, you know, at the end of the day, I think the most important thing is um, people seeking knowledge and knowing what they don't know and all of that. And unfortunately, my main issue with those programs is is even the people who might be okay without – maybe as good of an education they're just not going to do those programs the only yeah. people who do those programs are people who are not going to know what they don't know and it's yeah being pretty chaotic yeah I, we definitely like spiral down this whole thing yeah but um yeah there is a you know a lack of primary care physicians that's the whole reason I went into you know medical school and wanting to serve that need of an underserved community or um I've done a lot, like several things overseas as well but yeah, I think I I could help. There's a lot of nurses, but I also like want a little bit more autonomy yeah. than like, what I'm doing right now. So, well, you know, I think uh, people who are kind-hearted and intelligent bedside nurses, I honestly think that's like one of the hardest things to do because it's like it's not going to be very rewarding let's be real a lot of patients in hospitals if you work in a hospital they can be mean they can be demanding 
um, you know, it can be a pretty thankless job. It's very physically difficult. Nowadays, you have a lot of, you know, heavier patients and you might be required to do a lot of uh, physical maneuvering of them that really someone of, yeah. (laughs) They're like 400 pounds and you have to turn all like of these 20 patients on the unit every two hours. (laughs) Yes. So like, God bless the people who do that and do it well. Yes, because very true. Like I said, it's very difficult. But, you know, everybody has to be like, has to feel like they are doing the thing that they are best at. Like going back to why you decided mm-hmm. to go to medical school mm-hmm. in the beginning. And the reality is you really are, you like helping people with like preventative care and you're never you're there's a lot of limitations mm-hmm. if you stayed in the mm-hmm. role of an rn to yeah. do that so yeah, there's no shame in sense for you wanting to maximize to, your potential yeah yeah and everybody so wins it's a perfect plan yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think it's a perfect plan so is there anything that we didn't discuss about this whole <laughs> pathway that you want to talk about um I think I wish I would have met people like you guys when I was in high school, in college, you know, just like honest female, strong positions that wanted to have families that, you know, I think I got turned off to PA too, because my biology professor was like, well, if you want to have a family, you need to be a PA. And I was like, well, screw you. you. (laughs) I can do it all. I'm smart and I'm going to be a leader. I'm going to be a physician. So, and I can also have a family, but when again, another tangent, but when in reality, the system is not built for women in medicine, like just seeing my classmates have babies, like my male classmates as in medical school, like that's physically literally not possible as a woman. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't have to tell you guys twice, but it's just, um, I wish someone would have been maybe a little bit more honest with me about like the training and I am not like a financially savvy person, but looking at the breakdown of, I don't know what Instagram account did it, but they were showing the incomes of, you know, PAs that are 24 making like more than I would have ever made as a family medicine physician. You know what? I struggle with this. This is, I've been this way since forever and everyone will say it like, don't compare yourself, but it's, it's so, it's hard when it's It's like, well, I'm not comparing what I have versus what someone else I'm comparing what I went through someone, my experience and what I have to show for it versus somebody else's. And I'm allowed to be pissed off about it. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm going to say this because I'm about to graduate residency and I don't care anymore. But when I was, <laughs> I think what early on our friendship, Alyssa, I like posted some YouTube video and I was like, I think I said why I wouldn't want anyone I love to go to, to become a doctor or something. Yeah. And it was exactly like this whole thing. Like, you know, the once you're in the medical pathway, they want you to except that you are supposed to be like a martyr for your patients. And like, if you care about your patients, you are going to sacrifice this, that, and everything else. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, you're a robot, so it can't impact you at all. But the reality is that there are so many pathways. If you truly Mm -hmm. have a heart to help people and to also put yourself first at the Mm -hmm. same time and 
you know, be able to do the things that you like. And um, there should not be shame in wanting to be like a parent at some point and wanting to do a good job because, hello, that's the next generation of humanity Mm -hmm. and someone needs to do a a good job. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, I think it's important to for everyone to be open and honest and not pretend that their way is the only way and that Mm -hmm. there are multiple ways and that there are pros and cons to everything. But ideally people who are making these decisions would know about the pros and cons of each path and then make the best decision for themselves. There are Mm -hmm. people who would know all the scary things things about medical school and they might be like well I have a lot of family support I've never had any desire to have kids like I really want to be this subspecialist in this area (laughs) and I know myself really well and it's going to be the right choice for them but there's a lot of other people that are going to know all this stuff and they're going to be like "Mm, well I already struggle with my mental health like you know I I really have these hobbies that I love and I, I want them to be a huge part of my life mm-hmm. and they're going to decide something else. And guess what? That's great because then everybody can make the right decision for themselves. Exactly. <laughs> and I think people said it maybe before, but definitely in medical school, like this is the only thing I could ever imagine doing. And I never re- like never related to that. Like they're like, oh, medicine's perfect if this is the only thing you want to do. And I'm like, well, it's not. So I feel like (laughs) I could not suffer and do something else. Like I'm going to (laughs) leave. Yes. And that's the thing too. And I was always a proponent of of when I talked to pre-meds, like definitely only do medical school if like, if you can't tell me another thing that you could do and be happy because most likely that's an easier path. And I think that's at least a good starting point. If mm-hmm. someone is like, yeah, I really can only see myself being a physician, then they at least need to consider that that pathway. But then usually I get very specific. I'm like, what type of doctor do you want to be? What do you see yourself doing day to day? Because you <laughs> might think that the only yeah. answer is being a physician, but it really isn't. Yeah, definitely. You know? So, well, thank you so much for coming on here and telling your story. Thanks for having me. I know. And I think, you know, I'm really happy about this. I think it's very important, I guess, for all of us, for people to know about um, maybe some of the cons of this pathway that are not Mm. focused on as much. And especially because there are so many people out there who have left medicine and they feel and it could be years later, mm-hmm. but they feel like shame and guilt about yep. their story. Definitely. And I want to take that away. And I want people to be empowered to be like, yeah, I left medicine because of these negative reasons. And I'm happy because now there are these positive things in my life. And yes, maybe sometimes I do feel some shame or guilt, but I am actively recognizing that I still made the right decision and I'm going to try to not think about those negative things anymore mm-hmm. yeah. because I have been talking more to a lot of my friends who left mm-hmm. medicine. I do really think it, it ends up being a somewhat obviously traumatic mm-hmm. situation. I process. don't want it to be that way. It may take yeah, years, I, you know, to kind of be at peace, but it's, yes. it's, well, it's I guess too, what I think about is, you know, 
before we end this episode, like, let's put it out there, physicians have a pretty high rate of suicide. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes the shame and guilt and all the fears and the unknown and the mm-hmm. valid anxieties that are associated with leaving medicine lead people to instead end their lives. Yes. And that's, I think, so if anyone is going to think that this doing this series is negative, it's mm-hmm. actually the very opposite because yeah. these conversations are suicide prevention. Yep. So there is life after medicine. There is. Mm. Well, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story. Thank you. And we are blessed to have you. Thanks. <laughs>